Hello, everyone. Welcome to From No to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. With me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Sometimes, as modern humans, we fail to recognize our complete and total lack of self-sufficiency. Even the most keen outdoors person is often at the mercy of at least primitive technology. A knife, a hatchet, a piece of flint. But strip away all of humanity's tools, and we are faced with the harsh truth. We are a slow, weak, defenseless, and non-resilient species. The one thing we do have, the thing solely responsible for getting us where we are, is our intellect. And while we can identify numerous products of this intellect that are responsible for our ascension, nearly all of them, besides language, come back to our ability to create and use tools. Well said. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's sort of an interesting paradox there in the intro. You know, <laughs> you think about, oh, humans as not being self-sufficient. Well, if we're not self-sufficient, how did we come to dominate the planet? Um, and the answer is through tools. <laughs> so getting into it, what what is a tool? Well, you know, I always love etymology. And so we, we go back to the old English, um, uh, Germanic base. It, it means, uh, it, it, in that sense, it was, it was two. Uh, it, it, uh, sometimes toll or tool, it was tulo and then got shaped. Any too, too much detail. Uh, it, uh, to make, to prepare, to have uh, a sense of of doing or creating something that is going to help you do something else. And so it wasn't specifically to an item. But then we began to say, well, how do you do other things? Well, usually you have items that help you do that. Yeah. And that's that's what got me interested in this topic philosophically is it started with um, practical considerations, right? I was at work. I work in a manufacturing plant. Yeah. And um, just talking with our engineer and realizing that everything was being referred to as a tool, right? <laughs> so you had traditional tools, you know, hand tools and stuff. But then he was talking about the mold as a tool. Oh, we need to, uh, you know, remediate this tool. And then, you know, and then it's pretty soon you realize, man, everything is a tool. And I'm like, well, what is a tool? And then I thought about it a little bit more. I was like, man, even the word tool is weird, right? I was thinking about it. I was like, where, where does that word come yeah, from? Like yeah. to my ears, it I can't identify, you know, some sort of latin or you know germanic origin and it's it's really a very ancient word um so it it came from there and you know even in your description right this is is a very broad thing oh it is it's a very broad thing so generally tools are something that we use um as sort of a means to an an end right yep um is the value of a tool merely its usefulness or? Oh, well, uh, th- this could take me lots of places because you you work in manufacturing among all the other kinds of work that you do. I was raised in the home of a mechanic and, and a woman who worked in factories and was using tools. Uh, I and then uh, I, in my own work over the decades, realized very quickly that 
everything. Well, you know the pencil. You teach writing. You need to have a stylus of some kind, right, in order to write. You need something to write on. Those are tools. The, the funny thing is that, that you know, in conversations with my, my dad sometimes, um, I will refer to my toolbox and hold up the phone, and he will say um, quite uh, acerbically, but with a, a sense of humor, no, that's your brains. That's all your young people. I just call that the brain. You just pull out the brain out of your pocket. I'm saying, okay, this is a toolbox. No, my toolbox is in the garage, and it has all kinds of tools and drawers. Yes, and there are drawers <laughs> on this phone, and so we'll go on and on. But but that's just indicative to me of, of the one level of tools for a mechanic. And yet, he needed to keep those tools clean. Why? Because you always keep your tools clean. Why? Because they work better that way. Sure. They also look better. The, 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 the mechanic who has a shiny box and the tools are fine. Uh, sometimes the mechanic also doesn't share his tools because other guys come over and just want to grab them because they didn't buy them for themselves. So tools become a proprietarian thing. And so when I was uh, growing up, I saw people, because I worked in my senior year and the, uh, one of the shops my dad worked in, and I would see guys who hadn't acquired their own tools and they were just always coming over to 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 take his. And sometimes he'd, he'd be benevolent and let him take a tool, but if, but if they didn't, they just kept doing that. He'd say, you need to acquire your own tools. You need to, he probably didn't say acquire, <laughs> to get your own tools. You need to, you need to have your own. So then it's tools as part of your being. Treat your tools well. Your tools will serve you. There's a whole, <laughs> so it's not being stingy. It's being, this is part of the work is to know your tools. Right. Yeah. And that's good because you you went right where I was hoping you would. It's an important part of it. So, you know, tools, it's not just what they do, um, but I think that it varies. It probably varies with the tool. I think my mind immediately goes to cars, right? So you can buy, you know, an, an economy car from East Asia, right? And it would serve you perfectly fine. Or you could buy, you know, a, a sports car from Italy, and for all intents and purposes, you may use them exactly the same. There might be, you know, some showboating here and there, you know, that sort of thing. But for the most part, you're using it as a tool to provide transportation from one place to the other. But there's completely different considerations that go into choosing the one tool over the other. Yes. Right? Yep. And like you said, it comes down to, um, I think, a primary driver in that case would be aesthetics, which yeah. is another, a whole philosophical school. Even for itself. folks who might not use the word aesthetic, that doesn't matter whether you use the word, the word is a tool to be more precise, but yeah, it looks nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's aesthetics. And then there's also the way that the way that the tool performs, you know, you can look at reliability or gas mileage or which, you know, both of those things might be higher in the cheaper car. Um, so in in its execution of transporting the primary purpose of its existence transporting from one place to another the quote unquote inferior tool may actually perform better but there's these other qualities that only you know you know racing racing a car how often do you do that in in the course of driving right mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. if you have a race car very rarely do you 
go pedal to the metal. So really interesting how these tools are used and, and the amount of value, you know, monetarily you put into one over the other, the, the discrepancy and the reasoning behind that mm-hmm. is really kind of fascinating. Sure. Another one that's personal to me, right. Is guitars. Sure. Um, if you look at guitars, um, technically if you have a guitar that has the same scale length and the same tone woods and the same, um, pickups, you're going to have a very similar sound. Um, but there's thousands of variations of guitars that do have the same scale length, tone woods, and pickups. So if, if those three things are sort of determining the sound of a guitar, then why do thousands of variations of it exist, right? <laughs> it has to do with the color and the shape and, you know, the, the ergonomics and, and these other things that, that play into how the tool executes yeah, yeah, the workmanship the, you know the, whether it's handmade guitar or they or the mass-produced guitar yeah so is is the distinction between a tool and a machine philosophically important well i i i once I, I thought so, and I've vacillated on that over the years. And and as we were getting ready, as I was getting ready for this discussion today, I asked myself that question, a very similar question, and, and then I realized, well, machines are tools, and and if we're just going to isolate tools as one distinctive object, well. A machine is an object made up of other objects. Well, a pen, a big pen, is an object made of a, a, a very distinct low number of other parts. And so, if one is going to start making the distinctions, we well, have to have X number of parts, and or no, or just one object by itself to be a tool. Then, then I think we get ridiculously categorical and 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 miss the point of the discussion. So, yeah, I think machines are tools. Out of yeah, out of curiosity, now that now that we brought it up, how would we draw the distinction between a tool and a machine? So I'm I'm guessing you probably haven't looked up the definition of a machine, right? Have you? I did not of, look up the definition. Neither but, have I. So let's try to come to it on our own, okay, and then yeah, maybe but, maybe but we'll look I, it up. I'm going to put my my tool down. Because <laughs> here's the thing that I I find interesting, right? When I think of a machine, mm-hmm. I think of some kind of animation. There has to be some sort of movement. Now, when you bring up a pen, right, you think of a pen like a push-button pen, um, there's motion there mm-hmm. in order for the machine to work. Um, yeah, the ink but, is delivered by a ball. Right. But it's put into place. It, there's, a human, um, there's a human initiation to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, would a, would a push-button pen be a machine or a tool? You know, well, well, I, I still think it would be a machine because it has the. It, you, you talked about animation. It, 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 it has movement. However, what moves inside a computer? Right. Yeah. Well, the fan. Yeah. There's a, there's a fan that moves. The electrons. Yeah, everything else is pretty much electrons. Uh, the rest is your, uh, I, you know, I'm old-fashioned. I use a mouse still. Oh, my God, how does that sound? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't particularly like the tap kind of, of things. Yeah. I, that's an aesthetic choice, too. It's, not, it's, it's a tactile choice, whatever. But moving parts in a computer, really not many, and yet you would... You, you, you would definitely call it a machine. a machine. So a machine implies a process 
to me, I think a machine implies a uh, concatenation or structuring of smaller processes to make something uh, bigger happen. Uh, a, a tool might accomplish, a, help one accomplish a task. Uh, a machine might create something by design. It's been created to, to produce something after you push the button. But you work with large machines. As I say, my mother worked with that. We all, in some ways, encounter large machines. Uh, a combine for a farm is a tool to harvest, right? Uh, and so there are many other parts that are working in there that are tools addressing smaller processes to make the bigger thing work. So maybe a machine is a combination of tools. Yeah, it seems pretty apparent there's there's overlap, right? It, as a matter of fact, you could probably go as far as to say every machine is a tool, but not every tool is, is a, a machine. machine. So I think that's where this distinction would have to be drawn is looking at, you can't look at, um, hmm. Yeah, it's, so... Hmm. Man, that's really difficult. Well, okay, so now, so now let's extend it into the the, the political, social, and metaphorical. People uh, for a long time, way before the current conflagration, people referred to politics as a machine. Hmm. Well, and and people as tools of that machine. Right. And 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 Marx and so on talking about capitalism and people are tools within the larger machine. So people are tools serving the machine. Um, so that puts us in the position of perhaps being tools of helping something outside of ourselves accomplish something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing with machines too is, I mean, if you would take a cog, right? A cog in a machine. Mm -hmm. A cog by itself isn't really a tool unless you're using it some way that it's not meant to be used. It's pretty useless. But when you throw it in the machine, then it becomes a tool because it interlocks with other cogs that perform a function, right? This is where teleology arises. Okay, so the teleology, and, and, and I know you know the term, but we'll, we'll just refresh anybody listening. The teleology is that a philosophical uh, approach that asks what purpose does something serve? It's not worried about the cause of the thing, but rather what purpose it serves. And often teleology will, will then imply or did imply for some time that the serving was toward a good. <laughs> oh, okay. So we're, we're talking teleology here when we skew into you know, the, yeah, no, a cog. However, a cog can be used to make some really interesting art uh, marks on paper. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's the phrase, um, every tool's a hammer, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you could use a, a cog to smash something and, and it would be a tool. But you can use the purpose, yeah, so you have the purpose that it's designed for. Um, if you take the purpose that it's designed for and you remove it from the machine, then it loses, sort of loses its status as a tool. Um, if you're just purely looking at purpose, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For which it was intended. So yeah, this is sort of, maybe we should read the definition of a machine now. Okay. Now I'm uh, kind of curious. Uh, I'm going to bring up a machine etymology. Uh, 
since we are using our tools. Because we have this interesting thing going on now where machines have tools inside of them, but machines are also tools when used as a whole for their purpose. From the Greek, mikos, meaning contrivance, contrivance. Uh, Dory Greek, mikana or mikane, down to French, mid-16th century, machine. Uh, and And so what it means is... <laughs> <laughs> deciding or resolving and it was often used in military senses or in theatrical senses so uh, the machine means contrivance an engine uh, something that is used for uh, deciding or resolving a problem hmm. So that's interesting, right? <laughs> that's it really is. that's really pretty wild because I would expect, you know, you'd be looking into it and you'd have something that has to do with um, some tool-related knowledge. But really, it's all about problem-solving. Mm -hmm. And then, so if we bring up like a, uh, a dictionary definition of a machine. Yeah, yeah. So a machine is... This is just the first thing. It's Wikipedia right off the top. A machine is any physical system with ordered structural and functional properties. <laughs> yeah. So we are a machine. Yeah. Our bodies are a machine in that sense. Yeah. So really interesting uh, contrivance, right? Some uh, means to an end of a tool. So really, I mean, that's that's why getting down these rabbit holes of etymology is fascinating because you said yes. an engine and then my mind's immediately like what's the difference between an engine and a motor is there a difference is it just <laughs> is it just uh, semantics well is it well if, uh, an engine drives something well how many different ways can you drive well we uh, we're a machine we're an auto culture someday that's going to go away we are not always going to be an automobile culture and and so all those metaphors are going to spin off into archaic disuse like the save file on computers being a floppy disk right <laughs> floppy disk is a floppy disk a tool yeah yes yeah uh, so, <laughs> so yeah this is this is why it's really interesting i you know we may not have established what a tool or a machine is or any of that stuff to this point but what we have established is that the language of tools and the metaphorical and just the the subconscious, the integration of tools into our our beings is so deep, right? Mm -hmm. And that depth kind of leads us into the formative aspects of it. So now we need to look at okay, well, where where did tools you know kind of come from? And one of the interesting things I found out when researching tools is that tools um, actually predate humans themselves. They said that. Based off of, you know, humans' use of tools and chimpanzees' use of tools and, and other animals, they said the use of tools probably goes back farther than Homo sapiens does mm -hmm. in the historical timeline. Mm -hmm. So that raises an interesting question, right? Could Homo sapiens be, quote-unquote, man without tools? <laughs> That's a really, really interesting point. So let's go to the definition of Homo sapiens. What's the basic definition, right, uh, of, the, of uh, man who knows or man who thinks or being that thinks? Something on that order, right? All right. So 
I suppose we could be homo sapiens if we could think, but then uh, one would have to say that uh, thinking is itself a tool. <laughs> yeah, because it's something that you're using as a means to an end. Yes. Right? Yes. So, I, uh, so I, I, don't, I, uh, I. It's fascinating. I'm glad you you read them because, of course, we we know of even crows. Yeah. Uh, crows are prolific tool users. Uh, <laughs> you've mentioned this before. Bring this up again because we talked about this in a different, uh, in a different context. Yeah. I told uh, crows pay attention. Crows are attentive. Crows know how many people go into a building and how many people come back out, whether there's still somebody there. Crows will use a stick to accomplish a lot of different things. Yeah. If you put, um, if you put something in the bottom of, of a, a pitcher and it can't reach it, it'll, it'll drop rocks into the water until it raises the water level so it can get to the thing. Very complex, um, use of, of this sort of logic. Homo sapiens, wise humans. Well, what makes one wise? Survival? Um, I don't know. Is it wise to survive? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in, in, the, in the scheme of things. So as a thought experiment, right, let's go back. Let's, let's find our first anatomically um, correct human being, right? All right. At the dawn of time. So... Why is it never the noon of time? I just <laughs> yeah. Where was the noon of time? I don't know. We haven't reached we haven't reached the end of it yet, so we don't know where noon is. I guess. Um, well, I mean, I guess at that point, right? So if tools if tools predate humans, then the first man probably already had tools. So uh, 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 yes, the, the exciting see, I'm saying yes because the, 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 so philosophy. Uh, asks us when we think about time because I'm always reading about time, right? That um, and they demands really of us now to realize that we are not the be all end all. We are not born and then everything starts with us. And when we we're done, it's done. No, of course not. We know this really, but but to we are essentially thrown into a flux a set of processes, multiple systems, in which we ping-pong around uh, like some kind of video game. And and we do things, and we hope those things will have good results. And sometimes we just do things and ask a kid, ask an adult sometimes, why'd you do that? I don't know. <laughs> and so we just are creatures of action. And and time doesn't... We, we may have, in fact, created the idea of time. We did create the idea of time. But if we are creatures that just fall into things, and the first fully functioning human, let's go to our model, has to be observant, one hopes, <laughs> and 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 saw perhaps beaver-like creatures building dams. What were they using? Their teeth. <laughs> and their 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 paws and or or to see a crow and manipulating something with a stick. Um, lightning strikes and there's fire. Wow, the gods gave us that. Oh, but wait a minute, why did that happen? And sooner or later, so I, yeah, there are tools around you're just going to figure them out. Yeah, so you can't, you cannot separate man from tools because not only did tools predate men, we were probably using tools when we became modern humans. Hmm. But also, like you said, tools are inextricably linked to intellect, which is an inherent 
aspect of being Almost human. Yeah. So, man, I had another thing I was going to Sorry, add. Sorry, I was, went too far on that. I can't remember what it was. It'll come back. Yeah. So, um, what were some major milestones in tool use throughout history? Oh, to you. <laughs> Well, let's 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 really dive into the rabbit hole. What is a milestone? It is a tool for what? Marking miles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, marking distance. So, if we're implying the the metaphorical use of milestone, it means we've come a certain way. And so what? I can walk from Warsaw to Perry. It's going to take a lot longer than to drive, but. What does that mean? Has has that has that been a change? But a milestone, we use it to imply that something significant has happened. Well, somewhere along the line, somebody, as you said before, figured out Flint. And we know we, we categorize things by the metals that were or the combination of metals that we have. The Stone Age, which would not metal, but metal in there somewhere. The the Iron Age, where we figure out how to extricate metal. And uh, anyway, <laughs> so we the very fact that we categorize by the material that we are using to make tools <laughs> implies that the tools were present. Of in 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 a potential sense, not that. So I'm not implying that. Well, gee, everything the hammers, wrenches, all that was just lying around under the dirt. When humans got smart enough, they brushed the dirt off and they found their tool. There was a need. There was a purpose that needed addressing. How do you best address things? Uh, let's let's Cain and Abel. Let's see. What was at hand? A stone presumably. <laughs> That's the murder weapon. A stone can be used to kill. A stone can be used to build. A stone can be... So now we're getting teleological again. <laughs> what is the... Was a stone... Was the cause of a stone for death or for building? I don't think one can say there was a cause. For it. The cause was that volcanic or, or in, and pressures or glaciers left this object to us. Maybe we never touched the object. But when we pick it up and we look at it and we start to say, oh, gee, ah, good rhythm. Uh, well, crows, uh, squirrels use nuts and make rhythm. That's not their intent. They're trying to get the meat out of the nut. But still, mighty good drumming sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> woodpeckers. Do you listen to woodpeckers and say, oh, music? Or well, why are they doing Oh, so they peck into that. Well, I don't have a nose that can do that. I'm, you know, I'm just extrapolating like crazy here. But I think that's how humans work. Yeah, and you sent me a really good article expressing that exact thing before we, we did the episode where um, the philosopher was essentially saying, you know, we we think of tools as having a purpose, but really that's a backwards way of thinking about it. Really, we have a purpose and we create tools to fulfill that purpose. And sometimes we, we as going back to your hammer, everything's a hammer. And sometimes, sometimes if you're trying to get something taken apart, I confess, I don't know how, how many other people would, would say this, but I think we recognize it. If I don't have a hammer at hand and I need to get a nail down in the floor so somebody else doesn't get cut on it, but I have a stone over here for my rock collection, bam, bam, I might wreck the stone, but the nail went down in. Right. So we suddenly the purpose of that stone is multiple. Yeah. And, you know, so if we think about it that way, 
then really tools, like we mentioned earlier, right? The intellect is the tool, right? Because we, we have a purpose. We have to figure out a way to accomplish that purpose. And the tools originate within, within our mind. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of like a a Rue Goldberg machine, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's not, it's not really accomplishing much of anything, but at the same time, it's accomplishing a lot and it, it's starting in somebody's imagination somewhere. And really that's all it is. It's just an exercise of the imagination, you know, projecting. Yes. Yeah. And so when we think about like milestones and tool use, right. I think I can't remember if I mentioned it on the air before, but I know you and I have talked about it. The thing that was fascinating to me, um, I I watched a documentary on was um, Neanderthals Mm -hmm. and how humans ended up, you know, essentially wiping out Neanderthals or Neanderthals went extinct. And what they found was the difference between the humans and the Neanderthals was in adaptability, right? So at some point they both developed stone tools, whether it was independently or maybe the Neanderthals stole the technology, whatever it was, they both had stone tools. But then if you look at human and Neanderthal tools, you know, decades and centuries apart, what you see is the Neanderthal tools stay exactly the same, but the human tools evolved. They became sharper. They became, you know, more streamlined. They had better ways of affixing the stone tools to handles. They had all these other things until eventually they were just so much more effective that Neanderthals could not, could not compete. So. And yet we have lots of, uh, we have tangible, I won't say lots, uh, you just brought this this thought to mind. Uh, we have the Neanderthal DNA, right, in our genome. Yeah, uh, and, and, and uh, not much, not much. Uh, I, I was looking up very clearly, one to two percent. Uh, but those beings are still with us. Yeah, and they did make tools. They they didn't make as rapid change as we did. They didn't adapt as much as we did. But, you know, if you call somebody Neanderthal and you think you're insulting them, I, I don't there's, I, I don't find that an insultive word. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're, oh, well, there's another being. It happened not to survive. Right. And here's an interesting thing that, that just occurred to me, too, when you were you were mentioning, um, you know, when we were talking about purpose, right? What is purpose? Survival? Well, if you think about it, let's let's think about it for a second, right? So humans survived and Neanderthals did not. So that would appear to be a success, right? Mm. But let's assume that Neanderthals would have stayed on on the course they were on, right? Things would have been staying the status quo. Well, humans have gone on and invent, made all of these inventions. We have these milestones, right? Well, the milestones originally start out pretty positive right you have the stone age you have the bronze age you have the iron age but then you have the industrial revolution and then you have the nuclear age and these sorts of things which again you you can't say that there aren't well you know there's positive things that came from them but when you look at it from a a purpose of survival right do you think that those things are aiding the human ability to survive in the long term versus a, a hunter gatherer Society. <laughs> Who would have, if you if you had two separate worlds, one with only humans and one with only Neanderthals, 
which species do you think would survive farther into the future? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's an interesting sort of thought experiment. It's an interesting thought uh, experiment and very worthy. Uh, because I, I I think that the the the, rec, the fossil record the the anthropological record archaeological record would would in my reading experience suggest that they they weren't completely static they just weren't moving at the pace that right that we were so there would have been changes there would have been adaptations they probably would have been slower we didn't need combustion engines. In 150 years, we've essentially laid waste uh, in, in high potential parts of the planet for the purposes of going fast. Why? Because we've got to get there faster. Why? Because we can see more people. Why? And 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 uh, and I love being a, a people say, oh, don't be a child. You keep asking why. Well, of course they ask why. We need to ask why. What purpose did it serve? What purpose does it serve? Well, everybody needs a car. Well, why? <laughs> and and we find out that we are a, 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 a collective uh, ourselves who reject collections of human beings reject certain tools and accept certain tools. We we castigate them and we use them at the same time. We are marvelous hypocrites. We, we you know and and so we'll say, well, we need cars. Why? Because we don't have mass transit. Would you ride mass transit if you had it? I'm not going to get on a subway. I'm not going to get on a bus. I've had so many conversations with people like you know, right. But uh, no, why? Because it's independence. I get to go where I want to go when I want to go there. But then you get upset when when gasoline costs what it should cost because of the manufacturing processes and so on, and you get really upset that. See, maybe that causes you to have to make a choice between where you go and how long you go. And suddenly that's an impingement on a freedom that didn't exist 100 years, 150 years ago. Right. And that's that's sort of the interesting part of, of humanity, right, is that we have this drive to be explorers and to be adventurers and to be on the cutting edge of things. But sometimes we're almost tripping over our feet in how to use these processes. And gasoline is actually a really good example, right? In the human history of refining oil, um, you know, there was a time where they found oil had a purpose, right? And so they refined it. And then they just kind of burned off all the byproducts. Well, some of those byproducts were gasoline, butane, um, you know, all of these, all these different things. And, and over time, you know, decades or centuries later, somebody would discover, oh, well, this is actually a very useful, valuable commodity, but for hundreds of years, you had just been wasting it <laughs> and in the process affecting the environment, right? So, and you, you know, human history is sort of filled with those types of stories, right? Of us discovering something and immediately putting it to use, um, but we don't really have a full understanding of what it's doing, no, and we're no, no, we're it, it, yeah, it, it, and it's so that's that's true. It, and, it, and when we realize, if we can admit that it's more, it's just as true now, then that is that is a positive step. You know, I've, I've just listening to it, thinking, you know, so much, so often, I just think of, I've said this in classrooms and other where we're we're barely out of the caves. And, and in a time sense in the, the, that we've created the measures of time, then that's true compared to galactic scales. We're, we're barely out of the caves. We're awakening to things that we wouldn't have given thought to three generations ago or two generations ago. <laughs> and so a lot of this 
it shouldn't be new, but it is. And, and so the crux point is, do we use the tool of our intellect in order to say why, which is a very important tool question. Why would I do this when I could do that? Measure how many times and then cut once? Yeah. Measure twice. Sometimes people say measure thrice and then cut once. Why? Because once something's cut, you can't go. Yeah. And again, like that paradoxical nature of, of humans, right? You think about um, climate change, right? People, a lot of people resist green energy for various reasons mm-hmm. um, that largely boiled down to what you were saying previously, which was that there's this strange um, sort of circular argument of, well, we don't really... We don't have the things to make it work. Well, if we did have the things to make it work, would you support it? No, because you know, this is ingrained. Mm-hmm. But then um, there's there's climate things that are becoming very real, right? You have your doomsday glacier that's about to melt and yeah. raise the sea levels by two feet. So then what is the solution? The solution isn't to fix the root cause of the problem, but to find ways to geoengineer to reduce the impacts. So it's to create more tools, right? To go, right. <laughs> to go further into the future rather than revisiting the past and reflecting on what we are already doing in order to make it more efficient or more yeah. useful. It's gonna- One could argue we are being Neanderthals in the in this in in the specific sense of when we don't want, when we think we've achieved the best moment, and so there's nowhere else to go with it. Yeah, right. I, I think of. The devastation of, which sounds easy to say, right? It's an intellectual thing to say, but the devastation, the human toll of coal mining, black lung, and 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 death and uh, on scales that shouldn't, and and suffering, and yet the, the, some of the very folks who suffered through that in multiple generations of families will still defend unto death the idea that we've got to have coal. Why? Because it's work. And so then there's no necessarily uh, generative thought about, but what other work would we be able to learn and to do to be supportive? Maybe not to to have to encounter the med- such medical issues, but that just runs into the wall. But we've always done this. But in fact, we probably haven't always done this in the historical record. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then you see this on, on a, a company wide level, especially in something like manufacturing, right? Right now there's a huge supply chain crunch. So there's a lot of things that aren't available. And so you see different customers approaching that different ways. You know, you have some customers that say, well, this is our product. This is what no, we know works. So we're only going to accept this. So as a result, things will be on hold for a long period of time. And, um, you know, they'll be scarce. And then you have other customers that are saying, okay, well, if this isn't available, what is? Well, we have um, this polymer instead. Well, okay, could we, um, you know, essentially that's the same thing, but with a lower gel content, could we use a different processing aid to make that work? Yeah, we could, you know. Creative thinking. Right. And it's some, you know, and when you extend that into things that are, uh, more ecological and in, in a lot of cases more cost effective you make progress into the future and from what i've seen on a personal basis some companies are willing to do that and some are 
not. <laughs> and yeah. it's it's Come having on. it's having a major effect on humanity in the current moment that we're in. In the situation you were just describing, as as, as we uh, uh, thinking about tools, are are you using this uh, the same machines to create those other things with different polymers? But is it still the same machinery? Yeah. Right. Yep. So it's using. If we go with tool and machine, it's using one into the other um, that already exists, but yet creating something new with it or something alternative with it. Right. And there's, you know, there's a process that goes into that. You can't, you never just replace one thing with another and things go well. You know, you might come back and say, okay, well, we're going to have to adjust um, the heat of a press or we're going to have to adjust how fast the press injects the material or how long the press cooks the material, or you'll have to adjust a number of different parameters in order to get it to perform um, and produce the same thing that Ah, the other thing would have. Research. Right. (laughs) And development. (laughs) Experimentation, yes. (laughs) So there's these things that go into it. So leading that into sort of the speculative portion, do you think a tool or a machine can become so effective that it performs innately human tasks better than humans. <laughs> well, uh, that depends entirely on the definition of, of better for me. I know I'm annoying. I'm so annoying <laughs> because it's the word. It's always the word. What, what, what do we mean by better? Do we mean faster? Uh, do uh, and I'm just asking if you want if you want to toss that in or or, or shape it or you just yeah. want to stay with the word better. No, I think it's a good I think it's a good question because this sort of question leads directly into um, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. really. Um, and so, if we're asking, can a tool or a machine become um, more effective than humans at human tasks? Um, we can look at examples of it, and then you know everybody's read like an AI generated article, right? Mm-hmm. And did the AI do it faster than a human? Absolutely. Um, did the AI have more facts than the human? Absolutely. But did it have um, the sort of feel that they, or the flow that gave you the sort of thing that it worked well? No, probably not. So did it accomplish it better? Well, again, like you said, it comes down to the definition of better. There's an AI artist now in a robot form named Ada. It's really interesting. Or, or uh, just side note, pop culture, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> Rogue scientist invents somebody that is called Ada, and she's an android. And uh, we just love, you know, we just do this stuff. So, but this is a, uh, there were issues of shipping Ada to uh, Spain for an art presentation and conference <laughs> because well they had they had some ethical issues they all they also had some uh, legal issues about what kind of machinery you can ship we're crossing into those zones now all right ada can has done interviews well it's it's artificial intelligence generating conversation and response to questions that a human asks and does painting. And then people say, that's not art. Well, <laughs> I'm an artist. I practice art. Uh, I'm not so completely convinced that it's not art. 
Is it doing better art than humans? Well, there's all kinds of room for all kinds of art. You can never have enough art. So that's really not a necessary question for me on that. All right, that's a long digression. What do we mean by better? If we mean by better, you said effective. We shifted from better to effective. Does effective mean fewer mistakes? And, and proportionately or on scale, does effective mean that plus faster? Uh, there are yeah, one I think could argue that yes, it it that is done in manufacturing. The idea way back uh, that was bantered around philosophically and politically was well, at least on the surface was well when we when we replace people with machines doing the drudge work that they don't have to do, that gives them more time to explore their own humanity. That hasn't played out so much because no. now we got people living two and three jobs and barely able to keep their eyes open. And we want them to be attentive to what's going on around them. That's pretty much a big ask. And 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 we so what we've done is abuse people more, but that's not the machines. And people love to blame the machines. It's not the machines. Machines, until they are an Ada, don't seem to have intent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have you know famous economists like Adam Smith and some of these other guys who said, yeah, in the future, you know, humans will probably only have to work you know twenty hours a week or something. You know, because you'll have, like you said, you'll have machines doing this grudge work. Well, I think what they failed to take into account looking at this is how much humans would consume in the future, right? Because if you think about, well, why aren't we? Why aren't we working 20 hours a week, right? And why are we in, Why are we working more than we ever were? What are we doing? It's really this need to consume. And if you have a need to consume, then you have a need to create products. If you have a need to create products, then you have an expanded economy you have an expanded and now you're in the the marvelous danger zone thank you very much for taking us there and where does the need to consume at such levels come from from a the patriotic demand that in order to support you cult your culture you buy things you buy things to the point of breaking your own bank account and owing things for a lifetime why because you need every one of those things if you really need every one of those things do any of us have things we really never needed that we bought we're serving an economy which is a a beast which is metaphorically which is a machine which says this is the way to do it if you want to have freedom you must be indentured to the economy that's pretty wild. Yeah. And and that's not the fault of, of the machine. And it's not the fault of the tools. What 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 fault does a tool bear? Does a tool bear any responsibility for its use? Yeah, I think it was we discussed earlier in the episode, right? A, a, we have a purpose and we create tools for those purposes. But a tool inherently is is devoid of purpose because it's just an object, right? Like you said with the stone, the stone just exists and a human decides whether to use it as a hammer or a percussion element or a building block or these sorts of things. And if we corporately, uh, in corporations, uh, companies, medium, small, large, whatever, make decisions to put tools in place that reduce the cost of their workforce without giving any thought to what other things the humans could be doing and paying them what would be a living wage in order to do those things, that's that's what undermines the intent of the tool 
uh, potentially in the first place. If your intent was to d- diminish your workforce, so you can save, have even more money for yourself, then you're removing the human concern and the human ethical responsibility. The, the, the old notions were based on the idea that, oh, you'd work 20 hours a week and could better yourself because you'd be making enough money that you wouldn't have to be laboring all the time. But we haven't abandoned the notion that you're supposed to work nine to five. Now we've we've shattered that entirely. Now you're supposed to work all the time. You're not a good American. Yeah, there's this strange shift, right, in in perspective where work is the defining characteristic of humanity, right? In this culture. Yeah, and nothing nothing makes you more of a cog in a machine than having that attitude. Because, like you said, that it it is becoming you have to think, well, what am I working for, right? What are you working for if you don't have time to yourself? What are you working for if you can't um, supply yourself or your family with the things that you believe you need, right? Mm-hmm. So what is the purpose of this, right? It, what is the purpose of, of, of living, right? If you're, <laughs> if you're just, this is what you do. This is your, your, your job. And all of this comes out of the word tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So- there's that side of it, which is, you know, tool use and and the human um, work part of it. Coming back to the the original question that I asked, there's an important element in there that I was thinking of when I wrote it, and that was, can a tool or machine become so effective it performs innately human tasks better than humans? So now what we're thinking of is kind of where we were at at the beginning. I think the artist was a good example, right? Art is something that is um, maybe innately human. I think it is. I think it is. I think it is. Because animals might create art, but they're not creating it purely for an aesthetic. Yeah, not for um, the intent. Yeah, yeah. Necessarily. So we have AI, right? We have this AI. I'm assuming Ada. I don't really know anything about it, but I'm assuming they probably fed it all of Picasso's work, all of Monet's work, all of the Rembrandt, probably fed it all of these works of art. And then said, hey, make something based off of all of the human history of art. You know, create something. And it does, right? So from that standpoint, you know, it's studied every style, every brushstroke, every use of color, all of these things. And it creates something. Um, and again, we have those words, better. We have the word <laughs> effective. Yeah, we have these yeah. things that are, are difficult to define. It, it can't but, be more. It can't be more effective, and if it were equally effective, so what? That more effective implies well, it's more artistic than any other uh, artist, or that well, of course, there are levels of how we would. This endless philosophy about aesthetics. We won't go into that, but but as I said, there's plenty of room. I I love graphic novels. I love illustration. I love cubism from you know the the early 20th century. Uh, I can appreciate all those things. I can appreciate something that Ada made. Does that mean that Ada wipes out art? Nonsense. The art goes back to the cave paintings that that we. So for so I think that, that but there's that fear. Well, well, see, are you going to hand all your brushes and you're never going to buy any brushes and paint yourself? Oh, I've been outdone by a machine. So, <laughs> you know, what do we do? We study art. Maybe we can't study every little kind of art because we don't have the mental capacity or the, or the time. 
and and it's, as you said, can be fed in. But ultimately, if we if we look at Van Gogh and we and and, and we look at uh, uh, I don't know Frida Kahlo and and the rest. Does that mean they may have some effect on us? Un, undeniably, because we're studying how they did things. Yeah, I think I think what why the question is kind of unanswerable is if you think about better or effective and you think about aesthetics, what you realize about aesthetics is that those sorts of characterizations are so personal, right? What makes mm-hmm. a painting effective? Essentially, it comes down to the emotional connection that an audience is going to have with the work. And every single person as an audience of one is going to have a different emotional connection to different works of art. So there's a very good chance without anybody taking away the preconceived biases of it being an AI, if you just presented one of Ada's paintings alongside a human-generated painting and didn't provide the person any input, there'd be some people that would say Ada's painting is gives them is a better painting because it gives them an emotional connection. And there'd be people that say the human painting gives them is a better painting because it gives them a different connection. So it's a very, um, you know, it's, it's something that's very unique to an individual person. So I think art is um, off the it, table. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so let's go to another one. Um, I read this just yesterday. Right. Um, there was some scientists that um, they wanted to have an AI answer the question. Um, let me think. What was it now? Shoot, I should really look up the article because I'm probably going to say something that's not right. But um, they they wanted to have an AI answer the question um, if AI was was going to be essentially if AI was going to be dangerous to humans, right? Because this is our sort of fear, right? It, that's been propagated through science fiction and Elon Musk and everybody else is that AI is going to get so smart that it's it's going to enslave humanity, right? So they they asked a, a similar question to the AI, and. Basically, what the AI told them is what we've discussed this whole episode, which is that AI is just a tool of humans and it's going to do whatever the humans ask. And it said, well, how can we guarantee that AI is is going to give us good outcomes? And they said, you can't, can't guarantee that. <laughs> like you just have like humans have to set the correct parameters. Mm-hmm. And again, they had they had fed this thing with all of the knowledge of humanity. And these are the answers that came out with. And I mean, Brilliant. it. it <laughs> It it's very it logical, right? Right yes. off the bat, you're like, no, yes. this just makes sense, right? Can we create so the question, can we create AI that can do these things that are far beyond what humans can possibly imagine? Absolutely. Yes. Can we guarantee that AI isn't going to take a bad turn? Only if we ensure that we set it off on the right foot. You know? Yes. Does it, is there ever a guarantee that a hammer is totally safe? Is there ever a guarantee that a toolbox is not going to harm you? And, and no, <laughs> we're human beings. We stumble into all sorts of crap. We do this stuff. I think that's really interesting. I want to read that. Article. Yeah, I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it and I'll send it to you. Um, so the last question I'll ask is this: Which is more impactful on humanity, us creating tools or tools shaping us? Oh, that's an interesting question, Joel. Obviously, it's more important that we created tools. Because if we didn't create tools, they wouldn't exist. But what's more impactful, us creating those tools or how those tools end up shaping how we live our lives? Mm. Longer term, I I would have to say as one person, the second. Because the, the ramifications of 
well, just as an example, automobiles. Um, when they were created, uh, it is, I think, singularly doubtful that anybody gave a thought to anything on a planetary scale other than sales. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but we are seeing the results of our choices. And sometimes those choices have been necessitated by geography uh, and the current system of employment and, 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 and. But I think the second part is... Uh, yeah, what I what I think about is it comes back to um, you and your dad talking, right? And he called your phone your brain, right? <laughs> and you're saying, no, it's, it's a toolbox. Well, there's been studies on this that have, have looked at it. And, um, you know, what they've said is that, you know, there's this fear that that smartphones and things are making people dumber. Hmm. They said, no, what's what's happening is just that you used to require a lot of this sort of semantic memory. You know, you had to remember all of the phone numbers that people had. You had to do all this stuff. Technology has made it so that you don't have to do that anymore so that you can use your brain for higher order functions. Right. (laughs) So. It's not that if, you know, if we have a, a giant solar flare tomorrow and all the technology's fried, we could go back to memorizing all the numbers. The mental capacity is still there. And we still have books. Right. We haven't gotten rid of them entirely. Yeah, there's there's always going to be some kind of technology. There's always going to be some kind of tools that will help us out with things. But really, what humans are very good at is tailoring their mental capacities and processes to the tools that they have and using them effectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I also said to him, I said to him, and, and we'll continue to say this, this isn't a brain really. This is this is uh, the Library of Alexandria right into the 21st century. This is access to unlimited libraries. This this and if you are if you are uh, tr- trying for uh, uh, to be adept using the tool or the tools, then you have to think really creatively about research. You have to think about how you ask a question. It makes us better question askers in 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 prospect than we may ever have been before. Right, and I'm sure as you know that's and the speed of technology. Right, you talked about it earlier. Like I can remember a time before the internet was uh, a household thing right <laughs> and i am you. i am not an old <laughs> no, i'm not, not an old, old person no. um but i'm sure you as somebody who's been in education your whole life can remember this because i can remember it when i was just getting into college mm-hmm. people saying well kids these days they can just look stuff up on the internet i remember when i had to search through the card catalog and i had to do all this as if that somehow made you a better student right no, you you just had to go through more steps to find the same information. Yeah, and really, it's still the same process. What terms are you looking for? How do you look them up? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's not a badge of honor. This is the, can I, I do own a, a, a tool, a record player, which can play 78s, 45s, 33s. Some people might not even know what I'm talking about by saying that, which also has a CD player, which has a radio. All of those are essentially outmoded technologies in some people's minds. And the fact that I can use them, does that mean I don't use Spotify? I can't play it. Of course not. Does having some aptitude with an older tool automatically excise you from the group of, of current knowledge? Of course not. 
that's all sociological. That That's not required by the tool. Yeah, because there's different purposes for these tools, right? Spotify, um, in large part, it's that mobility, right? I can listen to this anywhere. but It's also the space saving. Yeah. But me and my wife, when we go to decorate the Christmas tree, we throw Bing Crosby on the record uh-huh. player. And granted, we don't know anything about records. So we did have to go through all the different sizes. Originally, he sounded like he was on the chipmunks. And then he, <laughs> <laughs> so, nope, that's not the right size. We yeah. keep Okay, so yeah. this one's actually a 33. Mm-hmm. And then we play it. But that crackly record hiss. And, um, you know, the inability of the vinyl medium to over compress things and these sorts of stuff, it provides you with a certain feel. And that tool has a different purpose than an MP3 or a tape or a CD or any of those other things. So they are all different tools. They all do have different purposes. And so even though as humans, we think of one as replacing the other, um, it's really replacing some of those functions, some of those purposes. But a lot of tools never really become obsolete. And you even hand tools, right? You can go back and you can look at um, planers or chisels or some of these things and say, all right, maybe we do have tools that that have replaced these, but these still do a certain thing better than the newer tools do. And that's kind of the fascinating function of them. We've really just scratched the surface. And I think we we should do a whole episode on technology and oh, maybe yes. machines and automation and some of these other things. But it was a fun it was a fun uh, discussion. So until next time, keep pondering.